The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. You know, it seems like uh, there are times when we just need to go back to the basics. Um, when, I'm, uh, when I've experienced loss, when I've experienced death in my family, um, what has comforted me is the truths of God's word regarding our salvation. I'll never forget when I went to tell Brother Oliver about the death of his son, Clarman, uh, Brother Glendon's brother. Uh, you know, you never know what to expect when you have a sad duty to, to carry out like that, but Brother Oliver shed a few tears, but the first thing he said was, the Bible says, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I'll in no wise cast out. You know, that's what comforted him in a time of trouble and loss. And it's what ought to comfort us. And certainly we've experienced loss here at this church through the death of Sister Ava. And we, uh, I just feel the need to go back to the comforting words of Paul the Apostle about our eternal salvation. Tonight, what I want to preach to you about is the Roman road to salvation. The Roman road to salvation. Now, I know you've heard that term used in the denominational world. And, and it's used in a different way than what I want to use it tonight. Because I do believe there is a pathway in the book of Romans that we could call the Roman road to salvation. But I don't believe it's found where most people think it's found. I believe it's found in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 28. We're going to read a few verses here. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Now, you might ask the question at this point, what things are these all things that he's talking about? Well, the Bible doesn't leave us clueless about that. He begins to tell us what the all things are. Verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. And we'll end this with one question here that the Apostle Paul asked, What, then, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Beloved, I, I hope that the answer to that question for us by the time this message is over will be amen, amen, and we'll embrace these things. But let's look here at this true Roman road to salvation. This Roman road to salvation that we're talking about tonight is a road that not, not a pathway for us to, to, to walk or a, or a hill for us to climb. It is a pathway that Jesus Christ walked by himself. It's a pathway that Jesus Christ took that no other man could take. Only the Lord Jesus Christ could bring salvation to his people. And this is what I believe he's telling us about here. So let's look at these things that are taught here, all things that work together for our good. Because you see... All things in the world don't work together for our good. Sister Ava's suffering, Sister Ava's ultimate death, uh, it didn't work together for our good. Now her death ultimately uh, delivered her out of this world into the place where the Lord has prepared for us. So that was a good thing. But those things were working against her and against her family up until that point, beloved. But the things that work for our good are these things here that, we're about, that we have just read about. And it begins with being foreknown, foreknown, for whom he did foreknow. Now, Sonny Piles used to say this about scriptural interpretation. He said, don't try to tell me what a verse means until you know what it says. <laughs> in other words, the words in the verse are important. And one of the, one of the most important words in this in this verse 29 here is the word whom, whom. Notice this, for whom he did foreknow. That is a personal pronoun. That is not what, that is not something, that would give it a different meaning. 
But notice that whatever is about to be talked about, whatever is about to follow here, applies to whom personally? To the whom? Sometimes people mix up predestination. They get to thinking that it has to do with events that occur, that, that things that happen are predestinated. The fact that uh, I'm standing here moving my hand like I am, some would say is predestinated by God. But beloved, that's not what predestination has to do with. We'll get to that in a minute. But you have to start off understanding that, pre, that foreknowledge and predestination and ultimately calling and justification and glorification applies to whom? It applies to a person. It's a personal pronoun applying to people. Whom, not what. And then he says, whom he did foreknow. Foreknow. The word there in Greek is progonosko. Progonosko. And, and, and you've heard the word Gnostic. It starts with a G, G-N-O-S-T-I-C. It has to do with knowledge, okay? And that word literally means to know beforehand. Uh, and and, and it, it, it also it carries the meaning of to judge or decide beforehand. And the foreknowledge of God is intimately caught up with the electing grace of God. You see, this, this right here, this foreknowledge, whom he did foreknow, that's a reference to his electing grace. You find these words linked in, indelibly together over in 1 Peter chapter 1. And in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse, just begin reading in verse 1 just to get the, the beginning of the chapter there. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Here we find foreknowledge and election inextricably linked elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father now remember what we said the foreknowledge we're talking about here is not about events it's not about things that happen it's not about things that occur it's about people it's about whom he did foreknow there's a there's a miss application, a misunderstanding, a, a, an explanation of election that many in the denominational world try to, uh, try to uh, use and to kind of explain away election. And they'll say what election is, is that God looked down through time and saw what you would do with him, saw what decision you would make about him, and based on that decision, he elected you or chose you before the foundation of the world. But remember what we said. This is not about what you do. It's not about what occurs. It's not about what decision you make. This is in a, a foreknowledge whom he foreknew. It is an intimate, personal foreknowledge, you see. And that's the, it's the same sense of the term. And in some ways it was used when it talks about uh, the, the proclamation of the race. Back when Adam, uh, it says Adam knew his wife Eve in an intimate way. And the, and, and the result was the birth of children. And beloved, this is the kind of intimate knowledge God knows about us. He foreknows his people. He tells us in Jeremiah, he has loved us. This foreknowledge is indelibly caught up with God's love for his people. He says he has loved us with an everlasting love. You know what everlasting means? It means it didn't begin any time in the past and it's not going to end any time in the future. <laughs> he tells us his mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. Beloved, if he ever loved you, if he ever loved me, he will always love you. He will always love me. If he ever had mercy on me, it was from everlasting in the past, before the foundation of the world. And if he ever had mercy upon me, he will always have mercy upon me. Because his mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. You see, the foreknowledge of God is an intimate, personal thing. In the book of Ephesians, we read a little bit about that electing grace of God that is, that is referred to here as his foreknowledge. It says in chapter 1 of Ephesians, verse uh, 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Beloved, it takes a lot to misunderstand that verse. 
He, we are chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. He's, he's already told us that those whom he did foreknow, those whom he chose in Christ, he intimately knew them personally, not what they would do. In fact, he tells us in one place, Psalm 14, he says he did look down and see what we would do. He said he looked down upon the children of men to see if there were any that did seek him. Back over in Psalms, I'm just going to turn there and read it because I don't want to misquote it and I don't want you to think I'm not getting it right. But over in Psalms 14, verse 1 starts off telling us some very important information. The fool has said in his heart there is no God. Did you know there's fools out there? <laughs> There are fools out there that say in their hearts there is no God. You know, I've heard this said before that uh, there are professors of, of, of great uh, knowledge out there. They have many degrees behind their names. I, have had, I knew some in the philosophy department, but there were some in the religious studies department when I was there that were atheists and said there is no God. You know what? That professor may be a great professor with a Ph.D., but he's professor fool to you. <laughs> He's a professor fool to God because he said in his heart there is no God. They are corrupt. They have gone, done abominable works. There's none that doeth good. I'm so glad that his electing grace doesn't depend on what I've done because I'm included in the none, and you are too, beloved. None that doeth good. And, and so those that would say God looked down upon the race of men, upon what people would do, <clears throat> You know, that's a half-truth there. <laughs> he did that. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. If he looked down, as he says he did, to see what we would do, and then based on, his, on what we did with him, that's why he chose us or not, then guess what? Nobody's chosen. Nobody's elected. Because here's what it says. He looked down to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. He looked down to see if there were any that would choose Him, you might say. They are all going to side. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Praise God. You know, people get all anxious about the doctrine of election. They, they get upset about it they get they get it, it, it tends to stir up passions well beloved it stirs up my passions my passions of gratefulness and thankfulness and love for this one there's nothing to be anxious about with the doctrine of election sometimes you have people ask the question do you mean that doctrine of election means that if i even if i want to go to heaven i can't <laughs> What about that person out there, preacher, that, uh, that has a sincere love for Christ and wants to avoid hell, wants to stay out of, uh, out of hell, wants to be with Christ forever? You telling me he can't go to heaven because he wasn't chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world? I say unto you, that man does not exist. He's a fictional character. He's a fictional character like any you read about in a book. He does not exist. The one who has a sincere desire and love for Christ is one that has already been chosen in Christ because that's the only way he would ever know or ever have any desire for him. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. When did this electing grace, electing foreknowledge occur? Before the foundation of the world. And he goes on to tell us about another important truth on this, another important stop, if you will, on this Roman road to salvation. He says, for whom he did foreknow, that's the electing grace of God, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. So now, not only are we foreknown, but we learn that we are predestinated. That word predestinate is the Greek word prohorizo, and it comes from a, a root word, horizo, which is where we get our word horizon from. That's where we get our word horizon. And, and the horizo uh, has to do with marking out the boundaries or the limits of a place. In other words, when you take your gaze upon the horizon, you see the limit. You see the boundary out there. There's a boundary you can't see past. And the word pro-orizo means to predetermine or to decide beforehand, to set out the limits beforehand. In other words, there is something here that has been 
set out beforehand. There is something here that has been predetermined. It has been predestinated. What is it? You remember the very first thing we talked about? It's a whom. It's a whom. That's why predestination doesn't have anything to do with our events of our lives. It doesn't have anything to do with you stubbing your toe and saying, man, I'm glad that's over with. <laughs> Lord, Lord predestinated that. No, he didn't predestinate that. You know, when I stub my toe, one of the reasons I get mad is I get mad at myself for stubbing my toe. It was me, not God. <laughs> but you see, I'll say this, for those that try to apply predestination to the events of life, they're, they're also making God the author of sin. And God is not the author of sin. That means that when you kill a man, it was predestinated by God. <laughs> well, why do we have courts to judge someone guilty? Well, I guess it was predestinated that they be a judge. I don't, you can get yourself in such a, such a world that you'd be, as, as Brother Sonny Piles, you say, you'd be as confused as a termite in a yo-yo. <laughs> I'm telling you. See, predestination doesn't apply to things of life and events of life. Predestination applies to the whom that we started out talking about in verse 28, uh, verse 29. Whom he did foreknow. I heard Elder uh, Armand Rich one time say it this way. If you get anything but people into predestination, you've got problems. And that's a pretty good way to look at it. Remember that about predestination. It has to do with people and not events. But praise God it has to do with people. Because in the people it has to do with is the people we've just been talking about. Whom he did foreknow. Guess what? Some of them he also predestinated. No. Those very same whom they that were foreknown are predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son. Over in Ephesians 1, we just read verse 4. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That's what we're chosen, that's the purpose of it, that we might, uh, the only way we can be, by the way. <laughs> but he says, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the, whether or not we want to do it or not. <laughs> no, that's not what it says. According to the good pleasure of his will. By the way, just notice throughout this whole sermon, every time we go to scriptures, it's going to be about his will and about the good pleasure and love that he has for us. Notice here what it says, predestinating. First of all, the word predestinate only occurs in the Bible four times. Four times it occurs in the Scripture. And it's found twice here in Romans chapter 8, and it's found twice in Ephesians chapter 1. And in, Ephesians, in Romans chapter 8, it talks about being predestinated to be conformed to the image of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1, it talks about here being predestinated unto the adoption of children. In verse 11, it says, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his will. Let me tell you, beloved, the all things he's talking about there are the same things we're talking about tonight. <laughs> all these things he's working out according to the counsel of his own will. Not according to your will or my will or the will of some dead sinner who he's trying to get to do something. Beloved, it's according to the counsel of his own will. And it says that, notice here, it's the adoption of children that we're predestinated unto. Verse 11, it's, it's, it talks about obtaining an inheritance. So are we talking about different things? It says being conformed to the image of Christ in Romans chapter 8. Well, if you go back to Romans chapter 23 you're going to see that it, I mean Romans chapter 8 and verse 23 you're going to see that these are the self-same thing they're all one and the same he talks about here not only they but ourselves also which have the first fruits of the spirit even we ourselves grown within ourselves now listen waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our bodies whenever you read to wit in the word of God that's saying I'm fixing to tell you the same thing in another way that's what it's saying. So, so the adoption here, to wit, in other words, this is another way to say it, the adoption is also the redemption of our bodies. You know, it makes sense, doesn't it? What if I decided to adopt a child and said, we're going to go to Africa, we're going to adopt a child. 
And we go to the orphanage and we pick out which child we want to adopt. And we pay whatever fees are necessary. We legally do everything necessary to change that child's name and to make him our child. And then we leave the orphanage and leave him there and come back home. <laughs> You'd say, well, the adoption wasn't complete, was it? No adoption is complete until the adopted child moves into the home, moves into the residence of the, of the one who's adopting him. Beloved, our adoption, while it is certain, it is not complete. One day it will be complete. We're going to talk about being glorified, but there's coming a day when we are going to be adopted fully, when we, we have been adopted, we have been uh, cho chosen in Christ, we are his children, but one day we're going to be living with him. <laughs> And that's the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. That's what he says we're predestinated to be done. It's, it's predestinated to be done to us, to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. <laughs> Praise God. We're going to talk about being glorified in a minute, but let me just tell you, this is referring to it. You know, election has to do with, uh, all this occurred before the foundation of the world, but, but think about this, election is the foreknowledge is being chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. But we weren't just chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world and then left to be to our own devices. We are also before the foundation of the world predestinated to be conformed to the image of Christ after the world ends. That kind of covers the alpha to omega, doesn't it? That covers the beginning to the end, even before the beginning and after the end. Praise God. Here, here we are, uh, we're, we, are, uh, we are in the middle right now. We're living in the meantime, but beloved, before the foundation of the world, he made certain our salvation by choosing us in Christ, and he's made certain that one day we're going to be conformed to his image because we've been predestinated to that. And I can't go past this, this verse without reminding you, as I have many times, don't you ever let anybody tell you you're part of the chosen few. <laughs> The chosen few. You know, sometimes we get accused of that. that we think that people say, well, only, you think only primitive Baptists are going to heaven. Man, I hope not. <laughs> it's going to be a lightly populated heaven, I'll tell you that, <laughs> based on how many primitive Baptists there are in the world versus the whole world's population. No, beloved, in, in Revelation, he teaches us in the fifth chapter there, he said that there is a, we have been redeemed to God out of every kindred, nation, tongue, and tribe. Beloved, it's a multitude that no man can number. You can't start, if you started counting on the day you were born and quit counting on the day you, were die, you died, you still couldn't count the number of children of God that there are. Praise God. No man can number that. We're not part of the chosen few. I realize there's only a few that subscribe to these teachings. There's only a few that come out from the world and become separate. And, and, but let me praise God. Because of these things we're preaching about tonight, we can rest assured that, you know, there's going to be... <laughs> I heard Brother Ricky Harcrow say something like this one time. He said, you know, there's going to be some Catholics in heaven, but they're not going to be there because they're Catholic. He said, there's going to be some Methodists in heaven, but they're not going to be there because they're Methodists. He said, and praise God, there's going to be some primitive Baptists in heaven, but they're not going to be there because they're primitive Baptists. They're going to be there because they were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. They were predestinated to be conformed to his image. And we're going to see here in a minute, Jesus Christ loved them enough to come die for. Praise God. Predestinated. <laughs> and remember, it's still the whom that we're talking about. Verse 30. Moreover, whom, here it is again. In case we've forgotten, Paul reminds us, whom he did predestinate. So let's, let's think for just a minute now. Our water was off for a day or two because we had a leak under the house. I had to go cut the water off. And so uh, we filled up jugs that had tops on them, but Sherry also had a little bucket that, was, uh, that needed to be filled up. And so she said, well, go over to your mama's house and fill all these, all these jugs up. And so you think that bucket too? I said, yeah, just be careful don't spill any of it, you know. Well, actually, believe it or not, we got back without spilling it. Of course, I didn't fill it all the way up, Brother Neil, either. But, uh, but, but if you ever tried to carry a bucket from one place to the other full of water, how hard is it to get to one place or the other without at least spilling some of it, you know? I get to going and think I'm doing good, and next thing I know I'm in a rhythm here, and next and here it goes, it's everywhere, you know? It's, it's all over me. Well, beloved, God don't spill his bucket. 
God doesn't lose any out of his bucket. See, the same whom he did foreknow are the same whom he did predestinate. And here we see whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Called. Now, what is the calling here that we're talking about? I believe the reference here is of the calling is to the new birth. The word kaleo there in Greek means to call by name, to call someone personally. It's the foundation word, by the way, the root word for ekklesia, which is the, uh, the, the, what's, what's translated as church, a called out assembly. Ekklesia, ek means call, to call out, ekklesia. So what is this reference here? He says, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Over in John, the fifth chapter. We're going to jump in the middle here, but you read the context when you get a chance. Jesus makes a statement here that's very important for us to understand as to our experience with him in time here. See, think about this. We're chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. We're predestinated to be conformed to his image one day, but in the meantime, we're not conformed to his image. And when we're born in this world, 1 Corinthians 2.14 says that the natural man, that is those who are only born in nature, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Those that would say you have to hear and accept the gospel message, you have to respond to the gospel message, you're going to respond to it in the flesh, but it's always going to be no, <laughs> I'm not interested because the man who's in the flesh only, the man who has only been born of nature, he will receive not the things of the Spirit of God. Is there anything more of the Spirit of God than the message of God? It's the Spirit of God that inspired men to speak the message of God. What did Jesus say? Repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He, he's, the gospel message is a, a message of good news. Yes, it's a message of good news to those who can receive it. But beloved, there are all kinds of radio waves and television waves and satellite waves passing through this building right now. And the reason you, you're not watching a TV show on my belly right now is because I don't have a receiver in there, okay? You, you don't have, I don't have a, 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 the right kind of receiver to receive these things. The reason I didn't open my mouth and Don Williams singing comes out is because I don't have a receiver in my mind and in my mouth. You see, I can't receive those things. They pass right through me. They're no good to me. But, beloved, when I, if I had a receiver, you could do that. That's what you pay for. You pay for a satellite receiver or something of that nature. Beloved, in order for someone to even receive the message, he has to have been born of the Spirit. He has to have the right kind of receiver. The 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Is there anything greater of the thing, any greater thing of the Spirit of God than the message of the gospel that is from God? And he says, He receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. You know, one of the reasons that uh, Jesus told those uh, Pharisees over there in John chapter 5, I believe here in verse 39 or, 30, or verse 40, he said, and ye will not come to me that ye might have life. That's not an invitation, beloved. That's an indictment. That's, that's a statement of the condition that they were in. He didn't say, please, if you'll just come to me, you'll have life. He said, no, you won't come to me. You're in your flesh, you see. The natural man will not come to him. They are foolishness unto him, but it gets even deeper than that. Neither can he know them. Now, there's a big difference in willing not to know him and not being able to know him, you see. Neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. So think about this. We've got election here, chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. We've got predestination, being predestinated to be conformed to his image one day. But what do we do in the meantime? <clears throat> I, I grant you God could have left us to wander here and never know anything, never have any kind of relationship with him. But you see, the problem with that is, is that the old natural man is not fit for heaven. The corruptible can't inherit incorruption. 
See, we're corruptible. We're, we're there, in the flesh, there is nothing within me. Uh, Paul makes that, that statement there in, in Romans chapter 7. He says, that is in my flesh, there is no good thing. In me, that is in my flesh, there is no good thing. See, something has to happen in order for us to have a relationship with God. Jesus calls it a new birth. Back over in John chapter 3, and I'm going to get back to John 5 in a minute. But Back over in John chapter 3, this man Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. And he said, hey, man, we know you're a teacher and all this kind of thing. But Jesus made a bold statement to him. He said, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus was preaching that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. The kingdom of God is here. It's near. But you can't even see it if you're not born again. Many people say, well, come get born again. Once you see the kingdom of God, get born again. Once you see that you need Jesus, get born again. Do something to get born again. Beloved, the problem is they can't see they need Jesus until they are born again. The dead man is dead to the realm to which he's dead. Someone who's physically dead, we just had a, we just had a, a funeral here, and, and the problem with all the weeping and the mourning about that is that they can no longer... Uh, converse with that person. Sister Ava's dead. She's not with us anymore. And it's the separation that burdens us. It's a separation when one dies because they're dead to this physical world. God told Adam in the day you eat of the fruit thereof, you'll surely die. You know what happened? He didn't die physically, did he? But he died spiritually. He was separated from God. And the spiritually dead, I think the Lord uses these um, terms so that we can understand them. You know, he, he uses being born again and being dead in sins because we can get that. We get that dead means you don't have any life. Brother Neal is a wonderful physician, but he can't bring the dead to life. All he can do is pronounce them dead. He can't, he can't, he can't bring them to life. The dead man can't function in the realm to which he's dead. That's what 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14 is talking about. We're dead in trespasses and in sins, Ephesians tells us. Well, that means we can't function in the spiritual realm. We are spiritually dead. We can't function in the spiritual realm. That's why the natural man can't receive the things of the Spirit of God. But Jesus said there, here's a way. <laughs> here's the way. A man's got to be born again. Skipping on down, just, well, let's read. Nicodemus said he, like most of us, didn't get it right. How can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter the second time in his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. I won't take the time to preach on this. I just encourage you to go back and look at, listen to Brother Buddy's message about what it means to be born of water and the Spirit. One of the best I ever heard explaining to us that those are one and the same thing. Now listen to this. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. But if he works hard enough and learns enough, he can become spirit. Oh, that's right. Amen, brother. <laughs> that's not what it says, is it? That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. There's a reason he calls it a birth. Because a baby doesn't do anything to bring about his own birth. A baby doesn't do anything to bring about his own existence. That's a new being. It's a new thing that's created, if you will. In the case of a baby, it's through a process God has established. But in the case of his children, it's also through a process God established. He said, you've got to be born again. Because that which is born of the flesh is flesh. It's never going to be anything but flesh. There is no spiritual evolution. There is no changing. There is no morphing from flesh into spirit because you've got to be born of the spirit to be spirit. He said, marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth. This is how the new birth happens, beloved. Thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the spirit. If you find one person in the scripture born of the spirit apart from the preaching of the gospel, then you've got to say everyone is born of the spirit apart from the preaching of the gospel. 
he speaks of Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 1, he said, before, thou, uh, before, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Oh, that's a great, precious t- teaching of the foreknowledge of God. He said, and before thou camest forth from the womb, I sanctified thee. I believe that's a reference to him being born again in the womb. But even if you don't accept that one, look at John the Baptist. <laughs> when, when, when Mary came and, and the, he, she was carrying the Lord, uh, Jesus Christ, in her womb, and Elizabeth was carrying John the Baptist in her womb, and, uh, and he leapt for joy. He leapt for joy in his mother's womb. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit, beloved. He couldn't have preached a message about it right then, but oh, he knew something had happened, you see. If we were chosen in Christ and predestinated to be with him, something's got to happen in the meantime. And I believe that's the calling here that we're talking about. You remember I said we'd go to John chapter 5? I love the way the Lord makes it clear that the new birth doesn't come by the preaching of the gospel. It doesn't come by the voice of the preacher. In verse 25, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is. When the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. Isn't that glorious? Brother John Morgan mentioned the abortion, the abortioner's scalpel this morning. Those babes in the womb that are about to be aborted. You know, the world has to make an exception for them. The world has to make an exception for those who never hear the gospel, for those who never, uh, who, who are not mentally capable of hearing the gospel. Beloved, the Bible doesn't make an exception for them. The Holy Spirit quickens them just like he quickens you, beloved. The Holy Spirit can reach into that mother's womb before the abortioner's scalpel takes that child apart and he can born that child again. And praise God, he's done it, I, I believe, millions of times throughout the world. And I believe he will continue to do it. And it's not making anything. We should never accept that abortion is, is okay. It is not. It is murder. But praise God, it doesn't take one out of the covenant of grace. The whom is still the whom, no matter what. You say, well, don't we have to come to him? John 6, 37 says, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. I believe that's coming to him in, in the new birth. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. So you mean I got to get up and I got to go to him? Well, look, verse 44 tells us something else important. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. You see, there has to be a drawing of the Holy Spirit. But praise God, the whom will come in the new birth. Because all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. That brings a whole new message to light here. I wish I had time to go back. How many times Jesus says, makes reference to all the Father giveth me. Or all thou hast given me. It's always a reference to the Father having given him a people, beloved. That means that the Father had a people to give to him. He couldn't give him something he didn't already have. That's what he's talking about in Matthew one twenty one. when he says, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Praise the Lord. Those that were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world and predestinated to be conformed to His image, the whom of Romans 8 and 29 and 30 are those that, he's, that are under consideration here. As we move on, because our time's getting short here, in verse 30 again, it says, Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called. And some of the ones He called, He also justified. <laughs> no, I'm misquoting it again. Getting it mixed up once again because it doesn't say that whom he called. That means the very same number. You know that bucket I was talking to you about? Nothing spilled out of it yet. (laughs) It started out with foreknowledge and it was full there. And then it was still full when we got through with predestination. And it's still full now after we get through talking about the calling or the new birth. Them he also justified. What's he talking about there? To be justified means to be rendered righteous or such as you ought to be. And what he's referring to here is, beloved, is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. 
Because you see, there's a question asked by Job back over in the ninth chapter. He says, I know it is so of a truth. These, the, 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 the miserable comforters that were his friends, so-called friends, were telling him, Job, you better get right with God. You've got some unconfessed sin in your life. He said, I know it is so of a truth, but how should man be just with God? What a question to ask, and it's an important question to ask. How can a man who is full of sin, who is broken by the sin of Adam, who is cursed by the sin of Adam, how is is it that a man can be just with God? Over in uh, uh, Psalm chapter 143, but it says over there that in, in God's sight shall no flesh be justified. There shall no flesh be justified in the sight of God. Beloved, the psalmist is telling us the same thing that Paul is telling us, that the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness unto him. He's telling us that we are, just like Paul said, he said, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's no flesh going to be justified in the sight of God through their own efforts. Oh, but over in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 11, I would call this the gospel according to Isaiah. In verse 4 he says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. We thought he, was, we thought he lost. We thought he was just a tragic figure of history. We thought there was nothing, just like those that passed by wagging their heads saying, oh, he said he could save others, but he can't save himself. That's what we thought about him, beloved. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. I want to ask you something so far. Where is man in this? Where is man's efforts in this? What is it about the finished work of Christ that man needs to add to? It says, with his stripes, we are healed. Period. End of story. Now, here's our part. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. I'm good at that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm an expert on that. I've been astray today. I've gone astray already. I've probably gone astray in this very meeting tonight. But beloved, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. But praise God, the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know, sometimes we think about things and we don't think about things. I work in the legal field and there's a principle in our law called double jeopardy. And what double jeopardy says is you can't be punished twice for the same crime. So once payment has been made, you can't demand payment again. Beloved, we don't accept that a violation of double jeopardy is right. How in the world do we think that God would? If God laid on him the iniquity of us all and he paid for it all, how is it that he's going to demand a second payment from us? You see, that's double jeopardy. It doesn't work. It doesn't work in the laws of our land, and it does not work in the Bible. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. And that tells me he, he knows whose iniquities were laid on him. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. And I'm going to skip on down just to, for the lack of time to verse 10 and 11. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. I, I can't even... Have, Imagine that. I can't imagine it pleasing me to bruise one of my children. But it pleased the Lord. It didn't please him in the sense of he took sadistic pleasure in the pain. It pleased him in the sense that he had chosen a people in Christ before the foundation of the world. He had predestinated them to be the conformed to the image of his son. He had, he had uh, purposed to quicken them in time. And in order for all that to happen, Jesus Christ had to die for them. And justify them. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. See, right here it tells us he knew who he was dying for. He saw his seed. He saw his progeny. He saw those that are, he told Abraham would be like the sands of the sea or the stars in the sky for multitude. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. Now listen to this. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Praise God. He was satisfied with the travail of my Lord's soul. And he doesn't require that of me.
Oh, I'm so thankful because I could only ever pay on it. I could never pay for my sin. I could only ever pay on it for eternity. But Jesus was able to satisfy it. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. See, there's that justification. There's that justification. It says, by his knowledge... <laughs> He will justify many. Over in the book of 2 Timothy, it tells us that the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. Talk about foreknowledge. <laughs> he doesn't just know a mass of people uh, without uh, this amorphous and anonymous. He knows his people. The Lord knoweth them that are his. He knows it, beloved. And by the way, we preached recently about the omniscience of God. If he's ever known it, he's always known it. Praise God. We are justified. And here we go again. It's that same bucket of whom. <laughs> it's that same bunch of whom that he was talking about. And then he says, whom he justified, them he also glorified. You know, I, I find this the most amazing of all, I believe. You would think I was crazy. If I was talking to you after church tonight and I said, well, you know, Tuesday, this coming Tuesday, I went to Montgomery. That's just foolish, isn't it? You mean last Tuesday, brother? No, this coming Tuesday, I went to Montgomery. And then next Thursday, I went to Gordo. That's crazy, isn't it? Now, I got, I got plans to do that. I've got a purpose in my mind that I'm going to be in Montgomery Tuesday because I've got a meeting down there. But I can't say I've done it because <laughs> it might not happen. I might have a blowout. I might get up and get sick. I might forget the age I'm at. <laughs> but see, God is able to say things like this because he is God. And beside him there is none other. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. So when he says we have been glorified, he means that because in his mind and in his purpose, it's as if it's already happened. And we hadn't been glorified. You can look at me and tell. I can look at you and tell. But I'll tell you, beloved, in God's mind, we have already been glorified. It's as certain as if it has already happened. This is a past tense referring to a future event, and it doesn't work for us. Oh, but it works for God. <laughs> oh, what a day is coming. Now, I don't know all the details about that day, but, but I read something mighty sweet over in the book of 1 John because he's telling us about that day. And this is what he says. 1 John chapter 3, and verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. You know what he's doing there? He's, just, he's thinking about these things I've been preaching about. <laughs> he's just like Paul. You know, you know, Romans 8 and 28 and following is not some you know, exception that he's just some you know, didactic teaching there that's dry and, and, and he's not standing in the, at the podium in some seminary hall trying to, uh, uh, you know, set out these points. I believe this was the, the pinnacle. This was an exclamation. It was, the, it was the, the climax of these two chapters there in chapter 7 and 8. Chapter 7 where he's talking about all the sin within him that afflicts him. In chapter 8 where he's talking about all the sin that he sees around him that afflicts him. And he finally gets down there and he says, Praise God, all things work together for good. Not all these things that are happening out here without exception, but all the things I'm about to tell you about. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, them he also justified. And praise God, whom he justified, them he also glorified. It's so certain as if it's already happened. I believe that's the same thing that John is talking about here. What? He said, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. It's almost like he's in. Incredulous, because he knows himself. He knows what a sinner he is. 
He was one of the ones that forsook him and fled at the cross. He was not just, he wasn't one of these great super Christians. He, he forsook him. Even though he was there at, at some point, he had all the disciples had forsaken him and fled. He says, what an amazing thing it is to know that he loved me so much that I can be called a son of God now. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. And now listen to this. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. That's amazing, isn't it? I don't feel much like a son of God sometimes. I feel more like a son of the devil. I act and live in a way that I shouldn't. Oh, but praise God. Now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. He said, I don't really know for sure what's coming. I don't know all the details. He said, but... We know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Oh, what a glorious thought that is. I don't know the details, beloved. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you I've got the future mapped out and I can tell you all about eschatology and the end times. I don't care about all that. You know what I care about? The same thing John cared about. The same thing Paul and Peter cared about. That I have been glorified in the sight of God because I've been justified and called and chosen and predestinated along this Roman road of salvation. See, that's the true Roman road to salvation. That Roman road was a lonely road, beloved. It was a road that you and I couldn't walk. It was a road only the Savior himself could, could endure. It was a road that his first steps as a babe were leading him to. His first steps, every step he took in his life was a step toward Calvary where he finished the work, where he saved his people from their sins. And Paul ends this little portion here by asking the question, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? I hope you don't go away from here saying, boy, that's, that upsets me. That makes me anxious. That Ooh, I've never heard, listen, maybe you never heard it before. Maybe you haven't, but praise God, it's there. You got to do something with it. And I'll tell you, beloved, it's the most sweetest teaching in the Word of God that when we find ourselves with a heart for Jesus, it's because He had a heart for us before the foundation of the world. Praise God for the Roman road to salvation that only Jesus could walk. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.